There we go. There we are. Okay. Of course, we're all making the dumbest faces. <laughs> <laughs> and we are live. Oh, that's lovely. Yep. So, here we have with us, we have Merlin joining us, and we have James joining us, uh, two other DM friends, and they will be joining us for this session, and maybe in future sessions they'll join us as well. We are going to do something fun to get us started. We're going to roll for initiative Ooh. to see who gets to ask the first question. I have our little markers, so... Choose a color, roll for initiative. Did you intend to use that pun? Markers? I did as soon as I decided that we were going to do markers. I should have grabbed my dice out before. I'm a fall. <laughs> Please tell me you didn't roll a 15. All right, I, only, I only claim to the blue marker because it matches my dice. Okay, then mine's red. Because I'm like, yeah, I got a six. Okay, James, roll again. Plus Dang it. Okay. So, <laughs> blue will go first, then black, then red. Okay. Wait, I get the first question. You get the first question, so start us off. All right. So, my first question I decided to come up with is, what happens to a warlock class if your patron dies permanently? Your patron is gone. What happens to the warlock? Uh, I'm pretty sure that he just loses all of his power. Which would suck. You basically just became a level one character. Except for you'd have gotten all of your ability score improvements. And your health bonuses. But you would huh. be level zero. That's a weird question. Because I've thought about it a bunch of times. Because I've had been in some instances where um, the warlock is in danger of losing their patrons. Like, the fact they like them. So it's like, you get your powers from them, and they can strip their powers away from you, in theory, because you're making a pact. Yeah. If you don't hold up your side, you lose it. Um, so if they die, the question is, well, does the power remain? So if you have, like, a demon or a devil, they die, is their power still there? Are they super powerful, and can, like, somebody come and take it over? Well, so the pact still exists. And then so it raises exists. the question, does the warlock get their power from the patron or from the pact, which is facilitated by the patron? Yeah. So what do you guys think? Personally, I think huh. that the I put the first. Uh, I think it comes from the pact, like paladins. They get it. The paladins get their power from their divine oath, kind of like sure. the knights radiant. The warlocks, I think, get their power from their pact, and the so the source, the beginning source of it is their patron. Yeah. So if they break a tenant of the pact, or they go, they just break their like it's like breaking a contract. You lose your power. If the patron yeah. dies, and that's not, and there's no contingency set in the pact or. The warlock didn't break anything. I say the warlock still has their power. They just no longer have someone to answer to. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Though I believe that if that were the case, I, I would feel I feel like the power wouldn't be able to increase because you wouldn't be able to act upon your pact anymore. So your warlock class is now locked at its level. Basically, so you basically Until at you that point have to multi-class and or transfer your pact to a new creature, which would be cool because you'd basically be multi-classing into a new war into warlock again. Unless, uh, unless it is with the same, if you were a fiend warlock before and then made a pact with another fiend, it would probably just transfer over. But if you were a fiend warlock transferring your pact to a celestial, you'd be multi-classing warlock. You could. I, you'd have a split personality if you did that. How <laughs> that would work though? Well, game mechanically, that's kind of weird because you can't. They don't, it doesn't allow you to take the same class and, and change subclasses. 
which mm-hmm. I guess is what gets on. So I guess if that happens, you can decide to keep either your original patron's abilities, like if you change from Fiend to Fae, you can choose to keep the Fiend or work up the Fae tree instead and just give up everything on Fiend. Yeah. Or just if you hit, like, like say you hit your level 6 ability for Fae and you have your 6 ability for Fiend, you can choose to keep either Fae, to replace Fiend with Fae or keep Fiend and just keep working up the Fae tree. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of that would come down to like DM discretion. So uh, yeah. so they're just like, eh, no, you got to do this one thing because you chose it, or they'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll give you the option. I think I think giving the option might would be would open up more opportunities though. It would make it might break the game. So you have to be careful of that. It would open up some fun story stuff. It actually makes me think of Oathbreakers for Paladins once again because yeah. now that I think about it, they're actually kind of most the most similar classes because of the easy how easy it is to like lose their powers. Um. So for an Oathbreaker, they literally change to a different subclass. They become an Oathbreaking subclass, mm-hmm. losing all of their other Paladin subclass abilities and gaining Oathbreaker ability. And if yeah. they redeem themselves, they can regain either their Oath, their old Oaths abilities, or I believe it's written into the Dungeon Master's Guide that they can choose a new Oath. I don't remember, though. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, I, actually, that, that's I'm a good point. Because, Warlock would do that same thing. Yeah, because the precedent because the precedent is you lose all your abilities from before. You have to stick with one subclass, so it doesn't mix and matching, which I think comes down to game balance. Which, is good. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point right there. Um, which means if you were a Fiend sl- Warlock and then lost your pack and switched to a Celestial Warlock, basically you would lose all of your Fiend abilities and just gain all the Celestial abilities, which I personally think are better, but... <laughs> in your personal unbiased opinion unbiased opinion of <laughs> radiance I have always been great old one or hexblade I like to never heal my, I, 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 I enjoy being able to heal myself as a bonus action <laughs> I mean if you kill someone technically you, you, you can heal yourself as well um, hexblades are my favorite just because damage best blade lock you can ever make yes absolutely Never played a warlock. No, I wouldn't know. Okay, wizards are better. Never played a wizard either. Oh, yes, you one time. One time. I played, played one it time. once. Yes, evocation and reconstruction. All the rest of the classes don't exist in my mind. Hey, abjuration is phenomenal. Abjuration wizards can tank like none other. I have proved this. That is true. Okay. Right. Next question. Is is that resolved? I think it good is. Good question. If you, if you break your pact or your uh, patron dies, you just go to another person, I guess. Okay. DM discretion. DM discretion on that one, yeah. but most of these are going to be that. But <laughs> there you go. That, that was a good question. Okay, that brings it to mine, actually. Oh, dear. Let's see. You want to um, roll a decator for that? <laughs> it's only 40-something. So two D20s. Uh, but then you'd miss out on a few. That's fine. You just roll a decator and ignore anything above forty-two. <laughs> okay. This is the way. We've we've talked about this a few times, but your thoughts on a bag of holding inside of an anti-magic sphere? Because all magic is void. The bag of holding is magic. So would it be? A regular bag that you could just put stuff in, but then what happens when you get out of the sphere? 
the area of that, anti-magic. That sounds very simple to me. It's just, it, as long as you're in the anti-magic sphere, it's a normal bag. So it kind of yes. works like a secret magical compartment. If you're in an anti-magic stuff, you can put something in the bag. But when you leave it, you can't access that. But you can access the magical section. And when it becomes a normal bag again, you can reach the normal bit. So it can work as a, as a nice hidden, hidden place mechanic. Little hidden nook. Interesting. Um, I agree with you on that because the point of a magical of uh, the of the bag of holding the reason why it rips tears open the actual plane because really it's a pocket it creates a pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. So when you so when you walk into the dimension, and I feel I agree that it cuts off the pocket dimension, kind of portable holes, can't yes. sack it, all that stuff. Um, the thing about what happens to the stuff you put in there, I personally I would just think I would think when it opens back up, it's still in the bag, and it'll just fall back into the portal if there's just too much stuff in there. And it'll, Right yeah, and that's my thought is as soon as but, you leave it, the magic reappears. <laughs> it's in the bag, it would just drop. Well, actually, it kind of depends on where the portal in the bag is set. Is it at the bottom of the bag or is it at the top of the bag? Okay, so I'm thinking of bag of devouring. Because I think what he's asking is is it when you open it and you reach inside, you're immediately in there, or when your hand hits the proverbial bottom of the bag, it goes inside? The extra dimensional plane. I have no idea because I because because I'm thinking of a bag, a bag of devouring because this is inherently related. To, this is very related <coughs> mm-hmm. to that. It's like the evil uncle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the sadistic trap. It is, it's the distant relation. I didn't want to admit they were Because if you look at the dimensions, it Does is it a foot in diameter, so it's a big bag. So if you were to put something, like Russell said, is the portal at the top? Because if it's at the top and you put something in the bottom, would it fall into the portal? Into the whatever dimension it says it pocket goes into. It's not a pocket dimension. It says what dimension? It's like a little yeah. demi-plane. Yeah. Let's see. I should have brought my book. <laughs> You're okay. We have plenty. <laughs> Uh, scattered into the astral plane. That's yeah. when it rips, though. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I guess it would just be, a, like, a little pocket dimension. I feel... I feel like it's got to be the... Um, I feel like it's got to be as you enter the bag, but that would cause that you can't access your stuff that's in the bottom of the bag, which might increase the pounds over 15. Um, so that would... I feel like that would so it would affect the... Overall weight of the bag. Yeah. If you were in an anti-magic sphere, put something in that doesn't reach over the top of the bag. That would. Yeah, I'd say it would change. It would affect its weight. Yeah. So you'd have to be That's careful complex. with that one. That's super complex. <laughs> yeah, I, my my personal feeling, my intuition just says it's got to be at the top of the bag. For some reason, the, going to the bottom of the bag doesn't feel. You'd have to right. reach really far into that bag. I mean, it's about that size, so it's not super far, but it is pretty... I mean, if it's at your waist, you're like <laughs> half an arm in. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You can pull it up and reach down into it. Oh, it's actually two feet in diameter at the, the mouth. The bag? And four feet deep. Oh, four feet deep. Oh. That's what it says right there. Roughly two feet in diameter Sweet at the mouth and four feet deep. Like, this thing is huge. It's a big bag. <laughs> you can put a lot of things in there if it's at the top of the mouth. I would, it would have to be. The portal would have to be at the top of the mouth for it to be, like, logical. Or else you're, like, literally, like, half of your body. 
A halfling can fit in this bag. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful, they'll suffocate. <laughs> in an anti-magic sphere, they can fit in the bag. <laughs> Probably awesome. still suffocate. I mean, halflings <laughs> do make good meals, so an emergency ration. <laughs> Terrible. I'm tell you about the elf jerky at some point, but now is not the time. <laughs> both of you are both just orcs at this point. <laughs> I wasn't the one eating it. That was another campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Warforged. They don't get to eat anything. That's actually, I think that's actually a benefit. Because if you make like a Warforged assassin, they can just like sit underwater for a thousand years. Assuming they don't rust, I guess. But don't they don't bring... rust, sort circuit, lock up, a bunch they, of fun things. They could sit underground for a thousand years. And then pop up like, hey, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> Alrighty. Assassinate this person's grandson. Okay. That person's three years old. Yeah, assassinate their grandson. <laughs> Alright, back to the main topic. Yes. So, go into an the magic sphere, cuts off magic. You can put stuff in the bag of holding. I mean, after then... hearing your idea of if it, once it goes back to being magical, whatever's in the non magical bag gets just dropped into the anti, gets dropped into the magical pocket. I feel magical pocket. I feel like that makes the most sense. But dang, I love the secret compartment concept. And both things do make sense. Like, if there is, if the portal is right here, at what point does that portal just stop if you're able to stop the portal and put stuff in it? Yeah. Or is it more similar to, um, can I... Not something none of really most a lot of people have read, but like Alcatraz. Oh yeah, um, like Expander's glass. Basically, it takes a small area and just makes it bigger. And so, like when the magic leaves, when you leave the anti-magic sphere, does the bag just inherently grow? Which means, but if that were the case, if you were to enter an anti-magic sphere, everything should just throw the bag should throw up. I mean, assuming the pocket dimension is if uh, if the DM decides the pocket dimension is inside the bag, then I then then you have to ask the question: <laughs> Is it a doorway to another pocket dimension, or is it just the same size, just magically resized? Yeah, and I think this is all DMing discretion at this point. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many separate ways to Sunday this can go. Yeah. So those are our thoughts. <laughs> so DM's discretion on that. <laughs> Three different alleyways yeah. you can go on, though. You can have fun with it. My favorite is definitely the hidden compartment idea. <laughs> that is definitely a fun idea. There's a series of comics um, by Knights of the Dinner Table called Bag Wars, where basically the, the players created this massive thing inside these bags, and there's a massive world in there, because they created some, a lot of issues with magical bags of holding. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever want to read something about that, Knights of the Dinner Table has a great arc. Interesting. <laughs> Never heard of them. And they're, they're really cool. Alrighty, that brings us to Russell. What's your question? Uh, um, that is an excellent question. I didn't come up with questions. I'm the least prepared. But, would you like to not to, you know, one of use, questions? <laughs> not to pull spoilers or anything, but we did run into a sphere of annihilation and so i'm very curious what you guys thoughts are what happens when that enters an anti-magic sphere because because it's simply it's not an artifact it is literally just a magic item so basically it comes down to how is an how is a sphere of annihilation created can this simply be created by a bunch of wizards or does this actually have to be formed by a god 
Because if I remember correctly from its description, it's described as a literal hole in the multiverse being contained by a magical, by a magical field. So when we were talking, when I was talking with Russell earlier, he made the point that if it's just that, then if the magical containment field goes, then it would just shrink in on itself, kind of like a deploding black hole and just suck everything to it until the hole is filled. But going off the description, if it's a magical field containing a hole in the universe, isn't that what word contain? Wouldn't that mean if you take it away, would the hole expand and get bigger? Because like in Tomb of Horrors, there's a 10-foot sphere, and they're typically 2 feet in, what, in diameter. Yeah. So it begs the question, what would happen? Also, can you feed a sphere of annihilation until it grows bigger? Is it like a black hole? If you feed it, does it grow? I mean, so if there is magic, so we're going off. So if it, so, since there's magic containing it, I feel like um, you feed stuff to it. It doesn't necessarily grow in size because it's not like a human organism. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm um, just a hole in the multiverse that's well looking to fill itself, or it's sucking you out into something else and destroying you effectively. So I feel <clears> like. Well, I, I agree with with you. When you pull off the magic, it's well, one, it's either got to suck everything in or it's got to expand. I huh. and yet it, but pulling off the magic that requires <laughs> one, it to be well, it would require it to be made by a um, mortal to be able to pull the magic off. That's true. All right. Because Otherwise, most divine stuff <clears throat> ignores anti magic. If you can't pull the magic off, it's committed by a god. A god. Or a demon. But Some according to the description, cosmic. it says this two-foot diameter black sphere is a hole in the multiverse, hovering in place, hovering in space, and stabilized by a magical field surrounding it. It's just weird sounding well, to me to describe it as a hole, but needing to be stabilized. Right. So... Though I guess so if you think I'm of it as a as a um, sinkhole, they do grow. That's true. That's true. So is it like it could be like a sinkhole scenario where it does actually just grow and start absorbing people into it when the magic is pulled off? By the dungeon master's guide, where it says you can create magic items. You just have to be level 17 or higher to create a legendary magic item. It costs a lot, but you could technically create a sphere of annihilation as a level 17. If you burn enough wish spells. That would be an interesting campaign where mages are poking holes in the universe and somebody comes down and says, you gotta stop that. You're causing lots of issues. Look at all these (laughs) Uh, magical version of a nuclear war. There Here we go. go. <laughs> it's World War Three. Whole cities are just covered in one giant sphere of annihilation. It's, it reminds me so much of Balefire from The Wheel of Time. Never heard of it. It's, it's scary. It literally removes people from existence um, as if they never existed. Like Fireball, but it's like you never existed. <laughs> More effective. More divination-like. Interesting. All right. So... I would probably say it becomes unstabilized. So but does that mean it shrink or does it expand? I feel like, though, that it, it has to shrink. Because I feel like if it's absorbing things and... I don't know. So it's it, almost a, like... It really just depends on how you view it. Does 
is the magic pushing the hole and keeping it from expanding, or is the magic pulling and creating a void? That creating the void. Ooh, I. <laughs> I do you want to go either first? <laughs> no, I, I was just saying that's a good that's a good thought. <laughs> I think a lot of what it comes down to is basically how you create it. So if it's more like a, um, so I feel like if you're just poking holes in the multiverse. Um, it would be pulling it open because if you're making it to be a poke, it's like you're poking a hole and now you keep making magic to keep it open. <laughs> Whereas the opposite, you find a hole and now you're trying to keep it closed. Yeah. But if the magic is keeping it stable, meaning if the magic's gone, it's unstable. So mattering on your point of view, it's unstable. It's trying to stabilize itself. So go. it's either getting bigger to try to give itself a bigger... Uh, yeah, I can English today. So it's yeah. either getting bigger to stabilize itself or it's getting smaller because it can't maintain that. Or it could just go in a giant multiversal explosion. It so, could rip a hole in the multiverse. <laughs> so I guess it kind of depends on who poked the hole. Is this a deity hole where the, a deity or demon decided to poke a hole? Because in my eyes, if they were to poke a hole, it would start unraveling and growing. But I feel like a humanoid making this is going to have to try and just like rip a hole, rip a hole, and try and keep it open. Yeah, I where mean, reality will try and push it back to itself back together. Um, actually, this reminds me when I was younger. I used to play with soap suds in a sink, and uh, don't worry, this t- this this will tie in. <laughs> <laughs> I'd poke little, I'd poke little holes, and then the soap suds would always just clean it back together. But once I made it bigger, it kind of it just stayed there. So I'm thinking maybe it's like that. If you poke a hole and it's small enough, then the multiverse will just fix itself, no problem. But if you make it big enough, it gets to a point where, okay, I don't have enough material to fix this. That's true. And I think that also raises a great question. Do we want to make the multiverse like its own entity? So it wants to fix it. Or is it just does it just exist and it's this thing... Well, so that no matter what happens to it, it can't repair it. Judging by like just the definition of anti the anti magic sphere spell, the multiverse by itself might not be an entity, but the magic in it is. Because the anti magic sphere, what it does is it rips a hole in the magic of the multiverse. And so, basically, if you look at it that way, you're basically creating a sphere of annihilation on a small scale. Instead of ripping all of reality, all you're doing is pushing um, magic out. I think another way you can look at it is it's just a single, it's like a spell overriding all other spells. No other spells exist except this spell. You can't cast anything in here except anti-magic. It's like, you can't even cast anti-magic in an anti-magic. <laughs> the way I'm thinking of it, because it, to me it kind, of, it, makes, it kind of makes little sense to have magic make an anti-magic thing. Kind of like a dead magic zone. But if you think of it as, all right, this magic is overriding and nothing else can move because there's no room for anything else to do anything. So it's just one spell taking over this entire area and locking it down. Or you could look at it as basically the wizard takes the spell slot, or as I like to view spell slots as kind of like energy that he gains from practice. Like as they're growing, they just get more energy to feel it. And so basically they take the energy that they would use to use magic and they instead push the magic away from them. In which case, it, by the definition, it, magic cannot enter the sphere unless it is created by a deity or, or an, artifact. an artifact. It's true. So that's a giant can of worms. Yes, but I do like the soap suds... Um, 
If it was bigger, it would probably, probably be bigger. But since it's only two feet in diameter, it would probably just, just pop, shrink. Shrink? Because, or probably, because I remember from its item description, it had some interesting clauses for if it went through portals or into an extra dimensional space. 50% yeah. chance it just disappears. It destroys itself. The sphere is destroyed, yes. 35% chance it goes through or into the extra dimensional space. And another 35% chance it just destroys everything. Kind of like putting a handy haver sack in a bag of holding, except kind of worse. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Sucking everything within 180 feet towards it and popped out somewhere on a random plane. So, so you probably could, as soon as it enters an anti-magic spell, roll on this table. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't, though, it wouldn't open a portal, I feel. I feel like it would, though... Have, in my mind, I feel like if you remove the sphere, the protection, protective stabilizing magic, it would just suck everything around it to it, which means everyone just takes a lot of bludgeoning damage, and the poor guy in the middle is going to hurt. Better hope you're a barbarian. But once it sucks in the anti-magic sphere... Well, it depends on how you cast it. If it's just a spellcaster using it, then it doesn't matter. Right. They just get bludgeoned and probably knocked unconscious if they're a wizard. <laughs> 40 10 is a lot of damage for a wizard to take. Very much so. So yeah, it would probably implode or explode. Depending on depending on how big it is. Yes. Yeah. So don't use anti-magic sphere around the one in the yawning portal. Not yawning portal. In Tomb of Horrors. To- Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> and short takes special care with holes in the multiverse. So there's at least 20 avenues you can go down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that's helpful. <laughs> Probably <Okay>. not. <laughs> well, it is for campaign fodder. If you want to make conflict. Yes. Yes. That would be an interesting conflict. The story is that someone did put a large anti-magic sphere around a um, sphere of annihilation, and it's slowly expanding. Oh, and then and the campaign oh, is to try and stop it. So, anti-magic just suppresses the effects. What happens if someone successfully pulls a dispel magic on this thing? On the sphere of annihilation? annihilation. Well, if he pulls a dispel magic. I feel like... Banishes the magic instead of suppressing it. A sphere of annihilation basically um, would... When you... Because once you have... It's imploded on itself, and you leave the area... Or the anti-magic stops. Basically, you would end up with the magic. The magic that try was trying to stabilize it would come back, but be stabilizing nothing. Interesting. Unless it's the magic that's stabilizing itself, holding it open. Mm-hmm. In which case, it would implode, and then when the magic came back, it would expand again. All right, but off side, off the side of anti-magic, dispel magic gets rid of magic. So if you cast that, say, at ninth level and succeeded on an insane DC check and got rid of the of this magic sustaining and stabilizing the back, it, that means it no longer has something stabilizing it at all. I There's think it would, just, it would just do the exact same thing. It would just implode but not come back. Yeah. I mean, the alternative option, we talk about expanding and decreasing. The alternative option to all this is maybe just, just exist as a whole in the multiverse now and just stays the same. And then, well, I guess that also you also have to consider the fact that it does say contain. 
and no, stabilized. It says stabilized. And stabilized. It would become so. an unstabilized thing. It's like your cells. When your cells become unstabilized, they become cancer and they grow really fast. But this is a hole we're talking. But this is a hole. Yes. So it kind of just depends on if. But wait, that's just what, there's something else with the with the sphere of annihilation is that wizards with a high enough intelligence check can move it. That's true. When do you move a hole in the universe? So maybe the magic, some what's the word, stabilizing it is also what allows you to move it around. So when that's gone, yeah, it's just permanently in one spot. That's really true. You are unable. No one can move it anymore. It's just permanently stuck until you can restabilize it again. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if the magic is gone, then well, yeah, because magic is what allows you to move it. So there's no mm-hmm. option. So maybe in some certain cases, certain sizes of spheres wouldn't expand or shrink. They would just stay. Bigger than that, starts expanding, absorbing things. Smaller than that, it yes, starts it to blows. shrink. <clears throat> so kind of, I guess we've come to the conclusion that it's basically based on how large your sphere is. Which also comes to the c- question of what happens if you run two, anti, uh, two spheres of annihilation into each other? Uh, Do they grow then? Would, would they just kind of mesh no. together? I feel like they would expand at that point. I feel like that would be the one way of growing them. Because um, the way I see like the whole, like, the whole move, the move concept of moving a hole in the universe is you're just replacing the matter there. You're not <clears throat> it's moving it, but you're moving the matter around so no matter is lost. So if you take two holes and push them together... You are now dealing with one bigger hole. Which would probably increase the DC of trying to move it, but you could just make one big hole and keep it in one spot. That makes sense, yeah, because that could make a really fun campaign. (laughs) Just have the party run around collecting the Spears of Annihilation trying to destroy the world. (laughs) Okay, or you get one bigger and big enough, and you take a couple tries and you successfully get it in a portable hole. And you just leave that as a trap for players. Like a 10-foot magical sphere <laughs> as they fall into a pit trap and now they're gone forever. That would be great. That would be totally great. There was a thing I read where this DM had, it's like, well, I'm trying to figure out how to make these kobolds figure out how to get rid of the witch in this, in this cave. And he's like, oh, they have a spear of annihilation. That's simple. And the player's like, oh, yeah, we're going to climb down to this place because we don't have the spear of annihilation down there. And they go down by one. And they're like, okay, Bob, you're, you're done. Yeah, your turn. Like, wait, what happened to me? I can't tell you. What happened to me? I can't tell you. <laughs> and they all killed themselves. They spare an island. That's awful. Alright, so question slightly somewhat in some Depends on way the size. resolved. Depends on the size. <laughs> and yes. DM discretion. Yes. DM discretion <laughs> and size. DM discretion. Simplest thing you could do is just roll on the table. Worst comes to worst, it blows up and everything within 180 feet. Uh, now there is an adventure hook. All your players on separate planes trying to get back together. Maybe that really would be hard. a lot of work, but that could be really cool. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> that question is resolved. Merlin. Um, let me take a look. Shoot. Um, all right. Going along with um, this magical thing. So one of the things that I like to build when I build characters is I look at magical abilities and non-magical abilities. I like to know if I get put in an anti-magic field, will I still have access to this stuff? So that's why like fighters and barbarians want, because a lot of their abilities are non-magical. But there's some that tend to like toe the line. So if you get like the Dragonborn's breath weapon, is that inherent mm-hmm. or is there like magic there? I would consider it inherent. Yeah. Or the barbarian's rage beyond death ability that 
allows him to go beyond the normal consciousness. Is that a magical ability? Because it's from the Zealot, which is inherently divine. Or is that like a... Oh, that is the Zealot? I would say that it is actually not a magical ability. Just based on um, creatures like uh, ghosts, revenants, that are animated after death by a will to live or a tax to do, finish. Pure willpower. So basically, it is literally... The barbarian is too dumb to die. (laughs) (laughs) Or too angry to die, as the one popular meme says. Uh, I like that that interpretation. Um, One of the other things that is interesting to think about, if you have a warforged, and they are inherently animated by magic, um, whether or not they have souls is up to debate, and I know there's some people who think differently on on this. Um, So what happens with them as soon as they enter into an anti-magic field? I feel like they're not animated by magic just by the yeah. fact that they can actually use divine magic. Because if you think about it, would a god make a give blessings to a in their mind a toy? Um, it matters because I think one of the supreme gods running a plane. I think Mechanus. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what his mm-hmm. name is. Yeah. But he made these the their little his little construct creatures the Modrons. Oh, yeah. If going off the idea that he made Warforge or some other deity of similar caliber or alignment made the Warforge, wouldn't they be considered divine constructs and therefore not susceptible to anti magic? Yes. Yeah. But, but another, they're not made by. And then that way I'm going to turn to Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight Archive series for this. It's like sh- uh, the way I think it's like Shard Plate that lost its. Sh- um, so a stormlight. It's now just works like normal machinery. It no longer has magic helping it out. So if it's built right, it might still barely function. And but and once it has its magic back, it can work back as normal. Because the shard plate, it still works. It just no longer has the extra Iron Man-ish stuff that helps you move it. It's just super heavy, and you can't move it. So people consider it unusable. That's a good point. So, for you guys, what makes the delineation in between a magical ability and a non-magical ability? A lot of the time, it's when it's specified. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, if, if a monster specifies make a melee magic spell attack or a ranged spell attack, then obviously it's not going to work in an anti-magic too, yeah. according to the definition. That does not mean that that magic is a spell, which means counterspell will not work on it necessarily. Sure. But it does mean that it will not enter an anti-magic sphere. And then you have things kind of like monks, where they have chi. And in my mind, chi is not magic, just because there are forms of... not it's... Obviously not as overpowered in real life, but like there are ways of basically moving the body's energy and focusing on one specific thing so much that you get really good at it. And that's what I feel like monks are able to do. The, uh, the way I've imagined chi, because if I remember correctly, it's like a manifestation of their soul. So it's like moving their soul around to manipulate the world around them. Kind of like mystic psionics before it was scrapped. Ah. So I'd say like monks' abilities would be immune to anti-magic because it's their own spirit and soul they're using to fuel their mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, with the exception of way of four elements, I would say. Because that, yeah, that, that one does, that one does say, specify that you're like expending chi points to cast spells, which... Don't work. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree with that. Just kind of ruins this, my uh, it, Spyro build. It, they're but. using chi to strong arm magic. Yeah. yeah. Tap into the weave. I'm the avatar. <laughs> 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 That's 
Uh, All right, but so what about other classes? Like druids and like druids and rangers draw their magic from nature, nature. and Mother Gaia. If you're going to go with that storyline, paladins draw it from their divine oaths. Clerics from a god of some kind. Warlocks from their patrons, and the other spellcasters just from the pure magic around them. It's true. So there, oh, there was a, there was an example that I was thinking of the other day. Um, so I think one of the interesting delineations you go you get from especially from paladin from especially from like the combined classes. So paladin being like a combination of a cleric and fighter, ranger being a combination of a fighter and druid. Um, I think that's where I think those are where like the most um, interpretation is sometimes found because it does become the question is is it martial ability for the ranger for example that he can do all this really cool stuff with his blades and his bond with his with his beast or is it all magical? Or are the effects simply magical? So when it gets taken away, are the do um, does whatever happened because that was strengthened by the magic still exist? I would say with the, for example, the ranger, most a lot of their stuff except for their spells are all martial ability. Like there's a lot of examples in real life where they people do the things that rangers do in Dungeons and Dragons. Granted, it's really hard to shoot a lot like nine arrows in six seconds that's a little extreme but <laughs> you can it is more martial prowess than um magic druids are basically useless in the antimagic sphere i'm sorry but i'm pretty sure <laughs> that shape-shifting is considered magic yeah, yeah. unless you're it would be a divine so that because that begs the question would magic coming from nature itself be considered a divine source i would say no i would but it's not arcanic it's not but it has its own something personally i the way i would rule it is i would say is i would count it first as magic so an anti-magic field affected but the type is that's where I think it gets really weird, and to a degree, I kind of consider it. I would, tr I personally treat it as divine magic since that falls within the. It's nearest to the definition the game gives. Mm -hmm. um, it's not arcane for sure, because mm -hmm. arcane taps into the weave. You're tapping into the earth, not the weave. Um, divine magic goes into a patron god, and basically, if you're a druid, basically your god is the, the world earth. And the earth. <laughs> so basically, so. I feel like druids are. So they tap into the earth for magic. And if the earth is created by a deity, or in the case of Ebron, is the deity, technically on Ebron, druids are divine magic wielders. Yeah. So I guess it comes down to your world and how it's composited. If the world is created by a god, or if the world is a god, like with a Mother Gaia situation, things like that. Yeah. Or what if we even have a fault? Well, oh, no, I was going to comment about that. I can't remember. I'll come back to it. <laughs> All right, so so we've somewhat so we've somewhat solved the ranger and the druid. Moving on to clerics and paladins. So let's start with cleric. How would that work? Well, that's the thing. Is divine magic is still magic and is not allowed in the sphere unless the god is the one that has created a particular object. So divine intervention creature. would work in yes. anti magic. But Which any of its other abilities so would spells not. automatically no. Divine um, channel divinity. Channel divinity is a magical effect. I, I count almost anything that counts as divine magic as a magical effect. Yes. So I would say even stuff like divine intervention. So, um, in theory, assuming 
You have to make a lot of assumptions here. So assuming <laughs> that the god actually care, assuming you're a level 20 cleric and you go ahead and say, hey, I need this. And your god looks down and you're like, you're important enough because you're level 20, you're epic level. I'm going <laughs> to listen to what you can, I can hear what you can say because, I mean, I'm, I'm a god. <laughs> um, I can try to do something, but I can't do anything magical because we are in a magical, because you are in an anti-magic zone. So I got to figure out something on the outside that can be coming in and do something. Maybe I send like an angel and then. Well, that's the other thing. If the, something is created by the god, anti-magic doesn't affect it. So if the god decides that I am going to nullify your you in the anti-magic zone, would that work? So could a god say that you can cast spells here? I think it wouldn't be able to I pass think through it. One way you could, I think, one way you could look at it is kind of like a game server, and the gods are the administrative moderators with all kinds of overpowered privileges. So they can say, "Nope, this doesn't affect me here," because they can do stuff in anti magic while other people can't. So maybe you could say they could try to nullify it, weaken its effects, or pull something like smite them from above with lightning or something. I'd say channel divinity might also work in an anti-magic sphere up to DM discretion because personally I think it's them channeling the power of their god into some predetermined form the god has already given them to use. Like the clerics turn undead and their separate abilities going from the different order domains. Yeah. Apparently I had a misunderstanding. I thought that when I read the anti-magic field thing I thought it just suppressed the effects of our artifacts and deities but that it doesn't suppress them so... They work still. That's, that's going to change my everything. <laughs> this is why you don't give your beginning players anti-magic. I wasn't planning on giving you them. <laughs> was still you left it in the silly. <laughs> Where else would it be? <laughs> you left it in the room with a pirate. That was your mistake. Well, that's the thing. The funny thing with the anti-magic field, doesn't it pass? can't it pass through material? It can. So you could but literally, it's a lead room. You could have hidden it, though, so you could have had a lead floor, right? Yes. With wooden planking over the top, hidden it underneath a board. Could have, yes. Could have. Could or have, the same did. thing, but in the ceiling. But you have to realize that I didn't actually have the anti-magic sphere planned out at that point. This... I came up with that after he stole it. <laughs> because I didn't think anything would happen. That was still one of the most brilliant and most my favorite parts of that entire series. All right. <laughs> Though this is a hilarious talking concept, we're getting kind of off the question <laughs> subject. Yeah, so, true. we all agree almost all forms of spell casting suppressed yeah. yes. unless a predetermined criteria. If I remember correctly, yeah. the question is character abilities and stuff. Yes. So, right. yeah, delineation between character between magic and non-magical ability. Mm. So, it goes down to that. I think we've covered everything the cleric can do, at least without spells, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Then you got paladins, but mm. their magic comes from their from oath. Which so is basically divine. It's not even like fully divine, though. It. I would consider it to a large degree divine because you look at, for example, you look at the uh, Paladin's fighting style. That's not magical. Um, mm-hmm. Or you look at divine health. It says magic flows through your veins and it makes you immune to poison and disease. It's true. Magical ability. Oh, their what about their um, natural ability to sense good and evil? What about that one? I, I feel like that's magical as well. But yeah, probably say it's magical. Um, the way I the way I see it, because there's a couple because because with the separate the sixteen separate planes at least going off that there's couple, each different plane symbolizes something and there's a couple of them deliberated for order and oaths and things like that. So you could argue that the paladin's oath magic is drawing off the energy of those planes. Hmm. 
I haven't so looked too much into the planes. Would that make them immune to anti-magic because it's pure no. planar energy, or would that... It does not, because the way the anti-magic field works is it literally pushes all magic in the multiverse, no matter where it's coming from, out of that sphere. Oh, okay. So, basically, if you were to use, for example, or detect magic, and the way I picture detect magic is kind of, well, at least for warlocks, is basically you see every magic has its own color. That's how I perceive Detect Magic from my Warlock's perspective. And so, basically, what you would see is all magic that was in that sphere before the spell was cast is now pushing at the sphere. So, basically, for example, if a zombie were to walk into it, and we've discussed this before, in our minds, a zombie would fall prone. The magic would be forced out of its body that is animating it. So... Zombie walks in, it falls down. In my mind, necrotic energy is green. So, be a green what my warlock would see would see, be basically like this green magical energy that is in the form of a human pushing at the barrier, trying to get to the corpse that it's supposed to be animating. <laughs> Once the sphere is then, for example, if the caster were to move, the that energy would then as soon as possible, enter into the body and reanimate it. And that's basically what you would see from my warlock so perspective. So you're, you're still using your magic, but the second you try to, it tries to get... It's like a blocked connection. It's trying to get there, but it stops. Which means if you spam a bunch of your abilities in an anti-magic sphere, and then it's gone, you suddenly get hit with all of that at once. Actually, yes. That is exact, kind of, pretty much how it works. Because there are um, spells that do mention the fact that... Actually, I believe it's in the Antimatic Sphere spell itself. If you are using a spell that requires concentration, as long as you're still maintaining concentration, it is still in effect. It's just it's suppressed. Just suppressed. Happening. Nothing is happening at the time. So if you walk in with haste, you instantly become slower. But the moment you step back out, you mm -hmm. gain your haste back. Or if you have like a javelin of lightning and you throw it... Nothing happens, but once it leaves the sphere, it turns into a lightning bolt again. Yes. Just that. It's a good point. I was going to say, um, one of my favorite comics, <clears throat> it's a D&D comic called The Order of the Stick, has this really fun moment where you have this battle versus like this epic level mage and a dragon. Um, and one of the things <coughs> that I always like to think, uh, that I always like to remember when fighting an anti-magic field, if a human walks into an anti-magic field, they're just a human. But if a dragon walks into an anti-magic field, they're still a dragon. Yes. They are not controlled by magic. Yes. <laughs> yes, some of them are arcane casters, but that is a select few, and their fire breath is not magic. That's fair. <laughs> so, going off your, what we just discussed with the, with the anti-magic sphere, just shunting it out. So, if a paladin is using their divine smite on a weapon, because we this happened to us earlier... <coughs> If they tried to, if they used divine smite on a weapon and threw that out of a magic sphere to hit something, would it still be enchanted? Would it still divine? Would the weapon be well, divine smiting? Being that's smiting the problem is that or, divine smite has to be a melee attack. Yeah. So if you had a halberd like what you did, yeah. you had a halberd and you were stabbing somebody ten feet away outside the sphere. Technically, would the halberd? 15. 15, would the would the <laughs> halberd have divine smite on it, or would it not? I guess that kind of depends. Does Divine Smite for Paladin come from him projecting magical energy into the weapon, or does it come from his oath summoning it to the blade? Well, 
is it an external source or is it an internal source? Because if it's internal, then he cannot use it if he's in the sphere. But if it's an external source, he can use it all he wants as long as his weapon is reaching someone that's outside of his sphere. I feel like for the most... Well, so I feel like what happens is clerics and paladins are... At the beginning of every day, so when you take a long rest and mm-hmm. raise your deity, and they give you power and, and magic, and then you can use that. So I feel like it's an internal source as opposed to an, it's an, it's originally an external source, but after that point, I feel like it becomes an ex, it becomes an internal source. Mm-hmm. Just you're drawing upon this power that your god has given you. It's like taking a copy and paste. Uh huh. Exactly. So one of the things that um, you can mess around with uh, that I read I read in a book at one point. It's called I think it's called Guide to Magic. That sometimes the the pa- um, Clerics or paladins will pray to their god like, hey, can you give me this spell? And they're like, actually, no, I'm not going to give you that spell. But I will give you this spell because you're going to need it today. And they're like, but, 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 but I need to cure. I need cure wounds. This is going to be great. It's like, uh, no, you, you need life transference. That's more important. You'll, you'll find out why. <laughs> <laughs> That's so the other in here, you have, you have to expend a spell slot. Yeah. So with mm-hmm. that, I would say it would be an internal source since you have to expend the yeah. energy yeah. to push it out. So then if you got, like, say, your hand out, then the magic you're channeling is accessible to your hand. All other effects hit your hand. The rest of you are not... Okay, so I guess what I'm going with this is, do you have to have all of you in an anti-magic sphere to, be, to have nothing with magic on you? Or is it just a tiny bit of you touching no magic whatsoever? Because I think is anything outside the sphere gets magic, right? I think that actually depends on where your source of magic your ability to cast spells come from. For example, a wizard. I would say if their head is in an anti-magic sphere, they can't cast spells. Because it's all intelligence-based. Yes. Same with druid and ranger. Wisdom and cleric. Wisdom-based classes. All in their head. Same goes for paladin, bard, and sorcerer. Charisma-based. Most of your charisma comes from your speaking. Thus, also your head. So if your head is in it, I would say you can't cast spells. Interesting. Um, I like. I really like. I, I really like battle maps. So whenever I do this, my my ruling is: if your token is inside the anti magic field, no, you can't use magic. Yeah. Right. If it's outside the anti magic field, it counts. It gets right. a little weirder when you're like just the um, the ta- the combat of the mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the phrase is called anymore. It's being Spanish. Um, <laughs> I, that's where it gets. I feel it's a little more iffy, but I, I, I but I like that. If your if your head is in there doesn't work or i feel like if i, I would probably even rule it if, if your torso is in there as well mm-hmm. just if your head is out and your torso is in you're an Aarakocra. doing something weird <laughs> you're an aerocopter see that's the thing aerocopters actually can do this they could technically have their feet in an antimatic sphere and still have the rest of their body out if someone else casts it and they're just flying above them they can be out and in but it doesn't really affect help them at all because the point of an anti-magic sphere is to avoid being blasted by a fireball. You're sticking your head out. You're still <laughs> getting hit by a fireball. Oh, that's <clears throat> I mean, either that or making death saving throws. Yes. All right. So final. Ver- so the final verdict: divine sense, divine health, and their final capstone transformation thing. All magical suppressed in anti-magic. Oh, that would be so brutal. Cast anti-magic on someone that just went god mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, so it would all still be suppressed so the duration wouldn't continue on. Would no, the, the duration, duration does continue. No. Oh, okay. So you can literally, if you keep them in an anti-magic sphere for the full duration, they have wasted it. Interesting. Alright, so 
So moving on to other classes, what other ones do we have that do use ma- that use magical abilities that might be controversial? How long does a druid allow themselves to be in a sh- wild form? Wild form is one hour per use until twentieth level when it's unlimited. Yeah. Okay, so in which case, if they were to walk in an antimatic sphere, I think we've agreed that they would be transformed back, right? Yes. I feel like that um, it's the magic that transforms them, but after they're transformed. Well, I guess because it also does have the duration, so then that signifies that it has the duration, and then if they magic. die in that form, <coughs> they are automatically inverted back. Okay. So I think if like it was true polymorph, that would be different. But since true. it's just a minor shape change, so basically, I feel like what would happen is they would enter, they would be transformed back. The moment they leave, if as long as they wanted it to happen, they would be returned back in the animal form as long as they have not basically in a way, lost concentration. It's not like a concentration thing, mm-hmm. but it's up as to their As long as they haven't dismissed it, they'll yeah. come right back to that. I like that. <clears throat> when almost everything else is suppressed. Yes. Warlocks aren't special. I'm sorry, guys. No. They lose yeah. all multi-attack and everything. All their Eldritch invocations. They can't even summon Packed weapons. weapons. <laughs> all of that. The worst place for a warlock is in an anti-magic sphere. <clears throat> Unless you're a Hexblade, and then you just have all your weapon proficiencies, and you're like, huh, I can use medium armor. It's true. <laughs> but then they would loot, because Hexblades, I think, they can channel their magic through their items and use charisma for that, so they immediately go back to strength and dexterity. Yeah. So it's not ideal. Hexblades is somewhat okay, but As it's wrong not as ideal. my warlock it's has true. his rifle out, he could still use it. He would just only have one attack around. That's true. Yep. But Powder, shot, everything. One attack. <laughs> still one attack. <laughs> at decent range. Okay, <laughs> that is almost an hour. Oh, dang. Already, that's just Merlin. We got a lot of mileage out of that last. <laughs> oh <time>. yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. Well, this was good. Uh, good benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for inviting us on. Okay, I think we'll end it there. Please subscribe, like, comment for more. Any other questions? Pretty yeah, sure Merlin's the only questions. one that's commented so far. But <laughs> Merlin has yeah, brought really? up good questions. <laughs> But we ran out of time, so we can't get to those. Maybe next time we'll pull those out. But, yeah, comment, ask questions. We'd love to answer them, give you our scoop on them. But have a great day. Like, subscribe, like Russell said, and we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Hello. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's ever be Christmas. <laughs> it always ends with us leaning forward. <laughs> 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 <laughs>